you guys have your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to open up to Proverbs 25. <clears throat> and we will kick off our journey there. As we uh, again come to the Proverbs, um, six more chapters will be finished. As we look at it, we just want to continue to remind ourselves, what are we coming here to see? When we come to the book of Proverbs, I feel like we're coming for street signs, directions, how to walk, how to follow Christ. Christ said, come follow me. I'm walking the narrow way. He referred to it being the path of life. And so we we do want to walk the path of life. We want to follow uh, what God has laid out for us. And one of the unique, there are several unique books. They're called the Wisdom Books. We're going to be looking at uh, uh, most of them in a row um, in the in the upcoming well, I would say months, maybe a year. But as we as we look at them, the purpose of those books is to show us street signs. What does it look like when I'm following following the Lord? What is it? Well, if I look down on the road, if my feet are doing a certain thing, am I on the path of life or death? And the purpose of that is to is to give me the opportunity to do what. Change. If I'm on the wrong road, all I got to do is turn, right? Well, what's the word for that? Repent. That's all it means. Change your direction. Repent. Oh, Lord, I got off track. I took a wrong turn. I wasn't paying attention. Whatever. Get back on the road of life and continue to follow the direction that God gives us. So as we come to, uh, to Proverbs 25, we're in another division of the book of Proverbs. We, uh, we just finished the 30 wise sayings with a couple of bonus wise sayings at the end, if you remember. Um, this morning we come to Hezekiah's Proverbs. Now, they're not really Hezekiah's. They're still Solomon's, but Hezekiah put them together. What that means is, remember I told you, when Solomon was king, he brought together a lot of Proverbs. Libraries full of books on Proverbs. And so, as the, as the book of Proverbs develops through time through multiple kings and other people uh, pouring into it, not just one single author, you have Hezekiah now gathering out of what Solomon had, this vast library, and producing what is known, or the division that is known in the book of Proverbs, as Hezekiah's Proverbs. The scripture will describe to us how that took place. Let's take a look at it together. Proverbs 25 it says, these are the Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied. It is the glory of God to conceal things, but the glory of kings to search things out. As, a, as the heavens for height, and the earth for depth, so the heart of the king is unsearchable. Take away dross from silver, and the smith has material for a vessel. Take Away the wicked from the presence of the king, and his throne will be established in righteousness. Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence, or stand in the place of the great. For it is better to be told, come up here, than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. What your eyes have seen, do not hastily bring into the court. For what will you do in the end when your neighbor puts you to shame? Argue your case with your neighbor himself, and do not reveal another secret. Lest he hears you bring shame, and you bring shame upon you, and your ill repute have no end. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise uh, reprover to the listening ear. Like 
the cold of snow in the time of harvest is a faithful messenger to those who send him. He refreshes the soul of his masters. Like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of a gift he does not give. With patience, a ruler may be persuaded. With a soft tongue, will break a bone. If you have found honey, eat only enough for you, lest you have your fill and vomit it. Let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. A man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a war club or a sword or a sharp arrow. Trusting in a treacherous man in times of trouble is like a bad tooth or a foot that slips. Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar uh, on soda. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head and the Lord will reward you. The north wind brings forth rain and a backbiting tongue angry looks. So it is better to live in a corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. Like cold water to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. Like a muddied spring or a polluted fountain is a righteous man who gives way before the wicked. It is not good to eat much honey, nor is it glorious to seek one's own glory. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Let's pray. God, we uh, just come to you this evening, Lord, as we open up Proverbs 25. God, we ask that you would guide us according to your spirit. Open our eyes, Lord. Give us understanding as we uh, are just looking for your road signs, your directions, describing for us what the path of life looks like, what the walk of the wisdom is. Lord, I pray that in all our getting, we would get wisdom. We would hear your word and apply it to our life. God, be glorified in this place. We want to honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you see in the introduction in verse 1, these are the Proverbs of Solomon. So they're from Solomon's library, but they're compiled by Hezekiah. The, the, the workers of Hezekiah bring these together um, in the book of Proverbs, you have, depends on, on what book you're utilizing to divide it, but anywhere from three to five parts. They, they cut it into five parts. You get the same thing in the, in the book of Psalms, or five books of Psalms in the one book of Psalms, five divisions. And so you have a similar thing here in Proverbs. We're going to be in it from chapter 25 through 29. So 25 through 29 are going to be the Proverbs compiled for us by Hezekiah the king. So we take a look. In verse 2, it may be one you're familiar with. It is the glory of God to conceal things, but the glory of kings to search them out. There's this concept that part of the role of a king is to make things understandable for his people. In leadership, in, in the, the, the divine model of leadership that God lays out for us, the king had the responsibility to be able to express in a way that the people could understand what it was, where they're going. In, uh, in Habakkuk, uh, I want to say Habakkuk chapter 2, um, Habakkuk is given a vision from the Lord, and the Lord says to Habakkuk, take the vision and make it clear so the people can run with it. 
be able to express to the people what is going on. So it lays out, it gives us this comparison between, between God and the king. And of God, it says it's God's glory because God is transcendent. Isaiah 55, we read, his ways are higher than our ways, right? Um, he's transcendent above us. So it is the glory of God to conceal a matter. Anybody ever wondered what God was doing in a certain circumstance? Anybody ever had something happen in their life and they go, I wonder what God's doing with that? What that was all about? Why, why did this happen or why did that happen this way? It says it's the glory of God to conceal. The word conceal is to cover. <laughs> Somebody was. And so as, it's, as, the, as the Lord covers it, the challenge then is to the king. What, was, what is the king? The, 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 the Lord, is, it's his honor, his glory to cover something. And it is the king's honor to search it out. God loves it when his people seek him. Seek his understanding. More than you and I want to know something, God wants to show you. But God's not going to show it to you. Just lay it out on a plate for you and make it so it's not an op- opportunity for growth. He wants you to dig. John Piper says you can come to the Word of God with a rake and you'll get leaves. You come to the Word of God with a shovel, you'll get gold. You come just wanting to stay on the surface, you'll have surface understanding. You come wanting to turn things over and comprehend things and get deeper, you're going to have deeper understanding. So when we come to the book of Proverbs, what is the challenge of the book of Proverbs? Get wisdom. Find it. Search out knowledge. Get understanding. So what is that talking about? A pursuit of God. It's God's honor. It's God's glory to make that pursuit difficult. Not simple. Because where does God's people grow? When things are good or when things are hard? When do your muscles grow? When you lay on the couch? Table muscle, maybe. Our muscles grow when we do what? We work. When we're working them, when life is hard, we grow. So God God makes it. It is God's purpose to make that something for us to strive for. And those who want to have the heart of a king, it's their glory to bring a shovel and search it out. Trying to comprehend and understand God loves it. When we have a desire to know him. When Paul prayed for the church, what did he pray? I pray that you will know him. The height, the breadth, the width, the depth of the love of God, which is seen where? In Christ Jesus our Lord. That you would know the love of God. Sometimes we look at life and we say, I don't see the love of God. So what's, what's the challenge? The challenge is for the king. For those who want more. Bring a shovel. Dig. Dig. Find the answers that you long for because God wants to show you. God wants to show you. He says, you will find me in Jeremiah 29. How? When you seek me with how much of your heart? All your heart. Come. Want to know? God wants to show you. It says in verse 3 of the king's council, as the heavens for height and the earth for depth, so the heart of the king is unsearchable. Some things, we, we look at it, some things in heavens, can, you, can we understand the depth of space? I, I, I struggle with uh, infinity a little bit. <laughs> how, how big is that? How far is that? How, how far away? You start talking about, 
If I get on a ship and I go to Mars on a, on a spaceship, somehow I am the same age, but when I get back to Earth, everybody else is 110 years old. Yeah, it's, that's weird to me. Well, how's that? How's that work? The heavens are, are deep. They're long. They're, they're high. The Earth is deep, comprehending the things of the Earth. So the heart of the King is unsearchable. Not everything is for everybody. And again, the role of the king. Not everything is for everybody. You, you give out what it's wise to give out, and you withhold what it's wise to withhold. Does not God do the same? You give out. The Bible says no man is tempted beyond what he can handle. We, that's the way we like to say it, right? God doesn't give you more than you can handle. What's the truth? God gives you a lot more than you can handle. Why? Because he wants you to hold on to him. He, the scripture says, nothing has happened to you that's not common to man. Everybody has a hard road to walk. But with the temptation that enters into your life, what does God give you? A path. A way out. What would you call that? The narrow way. The walk of wisdom. Following Jesus. He gives us a way out. What is the key to that way out? Him. Right? Clinging to Him. Holding on to Christ. Laying hold of Him and being able then to follow Him through. The heart of a king is, is unsearchable. We're never going to understand everything there is to know about God. And nor is anyone else truly going to understand everything there is to know about us. But God. But that's okay. We want to lay hold of that path of wisdom. He goes on and talks about stability through righteousness. Look at verse 4 and 5. So take away the dross from the silver, and the smith has material for a vessel. What's he saying? Get the garbage out of the silver, right? You heat it up. It melts. The dross is the garbage that floats on the top. Scrape that off, and now you have material to use, right? The silver is good. The silver is refined. He goes on, in the same way, take away the wicked from the, pre- the presence of the king, and the throne will be established in, in righteousness. Same way, take away wickedness from the throne of the king. Every king, every leader needs around him people better than him. Do do you recognize that? You need to have, you're going to have people around you in leadership, no matter what level it is, walking the path of life, then the people around you need to be better, not worse. Because the people around you make you better. Right? You get what I'm saying? People who are more gifted, more, more talented, better able to do things, even, even better than you. It's, not, it's a pride issue that makes that a, a problem. What we want is to have that around us. If we have holy, righteous, just men around us, then we will find ourselves walking in holiness, righteousness, purity, the things God wants us to walk in. Those ought to be our prayers for our leaders today. And if they find crooked ones, What's the Bible say? Skim off the dross so that what's left can be utilized. Get rid of that which is, which is wicked and be able to move forward under good counsel. Good counsel, the stability of the king is established because his counselors are righteous. We need righteous counselors walking the path of life. Then he has the wisdom of humility. Let's look at verse 6 and 7. He says, do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of the great. For it is better to be told, come up here, than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. Does that sound familiar? 
that ought to kind of sound familiar. Jesus said something similar. What did he say? He said, don't take the seat, the best seat at the table. Don't take the best seat at the table because the, the master of the feast may come to you and put you somewhere lower. It's, it's better to be patient and wait for promotion than to self-promote and be demoted. It's better to be patient and wait. What did the Bible say? Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and He will. He will lift you up. Of the seven things that God hates listed out for us in Proverbs 16, one of those things is pride, right? Didn't James tell us God resists the proud? So that's bad, right? Can we agree with that? If we are to resist the devil and God resists us if we're proud, that's not putting us in a good category. It's the same category Peter was in. You guys remember when the Lord was there Caesarea Philippi, and he said, who do men say that I am? And Peter makes this great proclamation that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, right? God, the Lord asked him, who do you say I am, Peter? You're the, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then he goes on to tell him he's headed to Jerusalem to die. And Peter rebukes the Lord. No, Lord, that can't be where you're going. And Jesus says to him, get behind me, what? Get behind me, Satan. Our pride gets in the way of what God is doing, not most of the time, not some of the times, all the time. And God doesn't like pride. He will resist you in your pride, in, your, in, in, your, in, in a proud attitude. So what is it that God wants of us? How does he want us to respond? He wants us to be patient. Walk in humility. Was Jesus not the humble king? And if he says to you and I, come and follow me, it's not the path of pride, right? Because pride comes how? Pride comes before destruction, haughty spirit before the fall. So the idea is the road of pride is not the road of life, right? The road of pride is the path of destruction. You've got to lay down your pride. Don't seek self-promotion. Let God do it. Walk humbly. Which is better, to be... Proclaimed by men as what a great person you are or to be proclaimed that by God? Which has more value? To the praise of men or the praise of God? And we live our lives sometimes like the praise of men is more important, don't we? I mean, we all like it. No, everybody likes to hear the praise of men. I don't know anybody who doesn't like that. We all like it, but we want to live our lives in such a way that we're living for the praise of God. Not for the praise of man. So don't self-promote. Let God do it. David was told when he was 16 years old, you're anointed king. What do you think that does to a young man? Go go in that back room back there, pick a 16-year-old guy right now and tell him he's president. Do whatever you want. You have all the power. Everybody starts to bow a knee to him. You don't think that gets into people's heads? We have a way of saying it. Power does what? Corrupts. Right? Power corrupts. So, so you have David as this incredible example for us of a man after God's own heart who's told as a teenager that he's going to be king. And when Saul throws him out and all these people are coming to him, David, it's time you can make yourself king. Go kill him and we'll all follow you. And everybody's telling him that. David says, that's God's anointed. When God wants me to be king, he'll make me king. 
And that's what he did. Ten years living in a cave, waiting for God to do what God said he would do. He didn't self-promote. He waited for God to bring him up to the head of the table. That's the path of life. The path of life is the humble path. The humble path is waiting for God. How do we know what God's doing? I have that stuff going on in my home right now. Today was Lady Ski Day. What do you think Kathy was like today? Yeah, she, she, she is seriously unhappy. So she's a very happy person. And if you come see her, she's going to give you all sunshine. So, and hopefully she's not listening so I can say whatever I want tonight. She'll give you all sunshine to tell you how great it is. But when she wakes up this morning, because it's ski day, she's crying because she wants to go skiing. And she's wrestling with, I was doing all this stuff for God, and I loved it, and I was bringing God into all of it. And, and so she asked the questions we all ask, right? Why, why does this happen? But one of the things that she knows, and one of the things that, that we fall back on is, God knows why, even if we never do. And he may, we may overturn the dirt and find the reason. Oh, look here, this is the why. Or maybe we'll never know. But in the end, can we stand, can we rest ourselves in the hands of God, despite the disappointment of how things turned out, can we rest in the hands of God and say, I'm your man, until you do different, I'm here. You want, to, you want to slow me down or set me here? I'll set here until you lift me up. That's the path of humility. That's the path of life. I am in your hands, God. What you Do what you will with me. I don't want to be self-promoted. I want to wait for God to lift me up. That's what the Proverbs all about, and that's what Jesus taught, right? When he said, come, follow me. Look at verse 8. What your eyes have seen, do not hastily bring into the court. For what will you do in the end when your neighbor puts you to shame? Well, what's this about? Have you ever seen something and interpreted it wrong and ran with it? You ever gone out and saw somebody do something and, and imputed ill will to them? So the scripture is saying, don't, don't look at something and run to the king and tell him, oh, you're not going to believe what my neighbor's doing. He's, you know, he's, he's, He's trying to usurp your authority only for the king to go check out and find out the neighbors throwing him a big party. Oh, uh, I thought he was. Uh, uh, so the Bible says, don't, don't do that. Before you run and tailbear, the Bible calls that gossip, right? Before you run and tailbear, before you go and share news, the scripture is saying, make sure you know what is real and not just our interpretation of it. What is really going on? More often than not, in marriage relationships especially, most of our problem and dispute with one another is when one person imputes ill will where there is none. Right? Where my wife used to park the car in the garage as close to my truck as humanly possible. Back in those days, I wasn't as fat as I am now. I would never have been able to get in the truck today. I would have had to move her car first, and, and I'd come out and be irritated. Like, what in the world? She is doing this on purpose. I would impute ill will to her. We'd have this same old arguments, right? We have the same old, I'm sure none of you guys experience that, but, but it happens to us. And we would experience the same old argument, the same old way, because I would impute ill will to her, 
rather than recognizing that she's not trying to make me mad. She's trying to do it right. She's trying to, to, to park the car within her capabilities, and that's what she's done. And if I want it different, then maybe I ought to do it or figure out a different way to park my truck. To be honest, I parked it out in the street. Wasn't that pretty a truck anyway? It could be outside. And then I, it's so easy to get in the door. And in the morning when I walk out into the garage, I'm not upset anymore. There's a solution, right, if I don't impute ill will. Don't assume when you hear something from somebody, especially nowadays, if, the, if Proverbs had had texting, it would have been in here. Anybody ever read a text and imputed ill will to a text where there wasn't any? What do you mean by that? Oh, no, wait a minute. I, I get that all the time because people will ask me questions. They'll text me a question and I will send yes or no. Because I think if, I, if I'm as direct as possible, then nothing can be misconstrued, right? And then sometimes I'll get a text back. Oh, did I make you mad? No, no, I'm not mad. I'm just, just trying to say yes. That, you're right. That's good. Let's do that. You know, so, so we don't want to. The point of this proverb is the path of life is not imputing ill will out there at everybody's actions and then running and telling somebody what they did when you really don't have any idea. Now, the Bible is going to tell us how to deal if we think someone has wronged us, isn't it? It's going to give us the path of life. What do you do if someone has wronged you? Look at it. It's in the next two verses, verse 9 and 10. Argue your case with your neighbor himself and do not reveal another secret, lest he who hears you bring shame upon you and your ill repute have no end. If you got a problem, where are you supposed to take it? Yeah, you take it. It says if you got a problem with your neighbor, go to your neighbor. Go ask him. Hey, this happened. And I, I don't know if I'm understanding it correctly. It, was this your intent? Whatever the issue is, to lay it out face-to-face with your neighbor. Did Jesus say anything about that? Shocking. Do you know Jesus actually used the Proverbs often through the Gospels? Today, there's four of them, at least today, that we're going to hear Jesus. Matthew 18, verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. If you have aught against your brother, your brother done something wrong, you think something, he's doing something, or something's up, what are you supposed to do? Go tell him. Between you and him alone, you and him alone, go tell him. Go try to work it out. And as much as it is possible for you, be at peace with all men. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. If he doesn't listen, what do you do? Try again. Take a couple others. Take a couple others. Take two others along with you so that every charge can be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. That doesn't mean go grab two of your friends. It means go grab two or three other people who have also experienced the same thing you have. So, I can give you an example out of my life. It's pretty easy. I, I can always find these. So, when I was at uh, Joshua Springs, a lot of times, Sunday mornings were kind of hectic times. And I'd have a list of things that uh, Pastor Gerald wanted me to do. So, I'd be motoring across campus trying to find this or that or this person or that person. Or get figure out what... Nobody showed up for Sunday school or whatever the thing was to solve different different issues. And so I'd be, I, I'm an A to B guy. So if I am headed to B, I will leave A and head to B, and I don't spend a lot of time noticing everything around me. I'm going to B. 
So sometimes I'd walk by people and they'd say, oh man, Jackie didn't say hi to me. And they'd, they'd get their feelings hurt. And so we, they'd, the ones I appreciated the most were the ones who would come to me and say, Jackie, man, Sunday you walked, you just blew right by me. What's, what, what's going on? Oh man, I'm sorry. I can acknowledge, I, I do this. And I, it's not my intent to hurt you or, or hurt your feelings. I'm sorry, will you forgive me? And we've, I've gained a brother, right? The, the animosity's dealt with. There's also those who get their feelings hurt and never tell me. And they're mad at me for months and months and months and months and months. And then their wife comes to me and says, Hey, my husband is looking at hiring a, a hitman to kill you. He's so mad at you. And I'm like, Oh, what'd I do? And he, you walked by him three months ago and didn't say hi. You know, it's like, Oh, you've got to be kidding me. So I'd go find him. And we'd work it out, solve the issue. This is the biggest problem in the church that there is within the body of Christ. That people are so afraid of confrontation or, I don't know, the, 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 but they're not afraid to gossip about it. God says, I hate gossipers, but I like it when people will go talk to the person they're offended by. We want to do the opposite. Every time we do the opposite, we're walking the wrong path. The broad way to destruction. When we go and take it to the person that has offended us, we go to our neighbor, we deal with it, then we're, doing, we're walking the path of life. We're following Christ when we behave like that. And so even God's Word lays that out. Jesus taught it in Matthew 18. <coughs> and, and along that, as we're doing that, look at what it says in Proverbs 25.11. All these kind of fit together. It says, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. That's the immense value of the beauty of words. Words can be... You, have you guys ever read an author that is just amazing how he describes things? I read a book called The Book Thief. Anybody ever read that? So, it's just a book. It's about the Holocaust. And uh, anyways, I, I read this book, and there were a couple of lines that the author did in describing people... That I just remember one was, was talking about the little girl, the stories about a little girl finding a new family to live with during the Holocaust. And she looks at this, this man who has adopted her, and she says he has kindness in his eyes. And I just thought, wow, that was well said. The way the author put it together. Man, that's a neat description of, of what he looked like. And a neat way to get it across. I think there's beauty in words. I think... Authors are artists who paint with words. But the point, why does the proverb put this here? We are dealing with strife and difficulty between people. Well, you tell me, why did he put it here? He's telling you, use, use the right kind of words and it'll be a beautiful thing. Use the wrong kind of words and it'll be a messy, dirty, nasty thing. You get the pick, right? One thing I can tell you for sure, you dealing in other people's lives, it's going to be messy. We might as well be set up for that. But if you hear what the proverb is saying, think about what you say and think about how you say it. And it can be a blessing. It can be just right, you know, just that right touch, the beauty of the proper words. And verse 12 fits as well. Like a gold ring and an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. If we are to get wisdom, the Bible tells us that we will hear the 
Well, says it like this, faithful are the wounds of a friend, right? Somebody who loves you enough to tell you, hey, this behavior is wrong. That man, that's, that's somebody who cares. Somebody who don't care, they'll just let you head off down that road of destruction. They don't care. You go down the road, of, what's at the end of the road of destruction? Death. That's not good, right? So if you love somebody, you just let them walk that way? Well, the Bible would say, no, you won't. You will try to bring reproof, correction. Hey, you're on the wrong road, man. You're not going to get where you're trying to go on that road. You need to come this way. The Bible says that is that is a, a blessing. It's a beautiful ornament. When you have a wise reprover, that means somebody who's using fitly uh, words that fit the situation. Thinking about what he's saying and how he's saying it, that's a wise reprover. He's a blessing to a listening ear, someone who's willing to receive correction. The Bible says a fool won't receive correction, but a wise man will hear and turn. Change his ways, change his direction. <clears throat> now he's going to talk about faithfulness. Look at verse 13. Like the cold of snow in the time of harvest. Anybody ever at the end of summer really felt like, man, I'd like to fall into a giant pile of melting snow right now. Yeah, it'll happen. I'll, just come with me. In March, I'm going to go to Arizona for a pastor's conference. And it'll be 50 here, maybe. 50-something. Maybe 60. That's, it's been a pretty cool winter so far. And I'll get to Arizona, and it'll be 110. And I promise you, I'll be ready to fall in anything cold that I can find. So the idea, here's the concept. The concept is, <coughs> like the cold of snow in the time of harvest, is a faithful messenger to those who send him. It's refreshing when you have somebody working with you that you can count on. Isn't it? Isn't it refreshing if you're working with somebody, if you have a job, you're working with somebody, and let's say you're sick or you can't come in today, and you give them something to do and they do it. Isn't that refreshing? Oh, it's like falling in. It's like taking the iced tea plunge. Anybody remember that? Or nest tea plunge? No, just me. That always looked good to me in the summer. You know, oh, look at this. Wait, wait, wait. Oh, that just looks like it feels good. And that's what he's saying. It's refreshing when we are faithful to those <coughs> who send us. He refreshes the soul of his masters. Faithfulness is refreshing. Being trustworthy is refreshing. We all like faithfulness, don't we? Do we like faithfulness in a husband or wife? Faithfulness in a boyfriend or girlfriend? Most people do. Most people don't say, you know what I want for a wife is a really unfaithful woman. I don't know anybody who does that. Faithfulness is refreshing. Now, let's flip it around. Isn't that what God wants? Faithfulness? Isn't that what he said for the nation of Israel? She is an unfaithful woman. God described her as a whore over and over again. She won't stay home. She won't be faithful to me. That's what God wants. The path of life is the path of faithfulness. Being faithful unto God. Being faithful to him. <clears throat> refreshes the soul of our masters. Faithfulness is always refreshing. <clears throat> but in our faithfulness, we don't want to be boasters. Look what it says in verse 14. Like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of a gift and doesn't give it. Now, we can make this relational, right? People who have promised you things and break their promises, right? Oh, I promised this time. I promised it. I said those words to my wife for five years. 
No, baby, this time it's going to be different. This time will be different. This time will be different. Eventually, that was true. But you know why it was true? Because I said that to God. Because I said to God, this time is going to be different. I'm following you. I'm not capable of changing me, but God is. When God gets into the heart of a man, he can change a man. When God gets into the heart of a woman, he can change a woman. When God gets into somebody's life, he can change that life. How many times did I promise God to be different or promise God I'm going to give you my mornings or promise God that I'm going to pray more or promise God that I'm going to, you fill in the blanks. Part of being faithful is keeping our promises. The Bible says it like this, pay your vows to the Lord. Pay your vows. If you vow to God something, do what you said. Give, if you're giving yourself away, give yourself away. Be faithful. Not a boaster who promises something and takes it back or, or breaks his promises, but somebody who wants to walk in his promises. Not, not only do I want to be a promise keeper for the people in my life, I also want to be that to the Lord. I want to keep my vows to Him. I want to be faithful. I want to be faithful unto Him. Which leads us to the next point, which is patience. Look at it. Proverbs 25, 15. With patience a ruler may be persuaded and a soft tongue will break a bone. I tell people this all the time. I, I've had guys, multiple guys I've ministered to in jail and they always have ended up in jail for the same reason. Um, somewhere there was an uh, expression of wrath in their life. And I read to them the proverb that says, The wrath of man will never accomplish the righteousness of God. Then I'll read another proverb. A soft answer does what? Turns away wrath. Soft answer breaks the bone. You don't need to... It ain't how... If I can shout louder, that's what we think sometimes, huh? I, when I was young, I wish I could have come, come and talk to my younger self, sitting in the kitchen yelling at Kathy. Kathy's yelling at me too. Don't think she can't do that. Just so you know, she, she was not being too abused. But she... She can give as good as she gets. I know. She looks all nice and sweet. I hope you never see the other part. That's my part. <laughs> but <clears throat> I wish I could stand next to, the, to, the, to myself when I was young and say, what are you doing? You yell louder than her. She can't hear you any better. If you want her to hear you, speak softly. And how many times... I, I wasted so much of my life yelling trying to get something across, thinking, well, I, I can, if I yell loud enough, I'll scare you enough to do it. Do you guys know that don't work, right? Maybe with three-year-olds. But eventually our three-year-olds become teenagers, and it stops working then. And I find myself doing the same thing. When my boys were teenagers, and I'm, I, if I yell louder, <laughs> and it, my trump card was, look, if you don't like it, you can move. I'll help you pack right now. Somehow that always happened right before dinner. <clears throat> they wanted to eat, so they never took, up, took me up on the, on the bluff. But I experienced the same thing there. I wish I could come alongside my younger parenting me and say, soft answer turns away wrath. Soft answer. Patience will change the way of the king. Patience. 
We struggle with that. Why? Because our pride gets in the way. Our pride says, I can't wait much longer. Oh, sure you can. You can wait your entire life. You can do it. God doesn't give you things that you can't accomplish, especially through Him. It's patience. We want to be patient. Learn patience. Patient. With patience, a ruler may be persuaded. It means you just keep after it, patient with a soft answer. Not wrath. Soft voice. That always cuts through. My son Joseph, <coughs> when he's having a, a fit in his autism and he's totally uncorked, he's probably the one who taught me the most about it. If I become uncorked next to him, it gets worse. What happens when we do things the devil's way? It always gets worse. Always gets worse. Think about the Exodus, right? The, the, the Niles turned to blood. And Pharaoh gets his sorcerers, what did they do? Make it better or worse? Did they take blood and turn it back to water to show their power over God? No, what did they do? They took what water they had and turned it into blood. Well, that's great. Super. You just made it worse. And they did that all along the way, and Pharaoh would be all excited about it. Woohoo! Yay! We have less water now. Great. That's how the devil does things. The devil makes things worse. I don't want to follow the devil's way. And I, I get frustrated because Joe's frustrated and there's all this anxiety and yelling and screaming and carrying on and nothing is getting better. So I just started saying to Joe, soft answer turns away wrath. Soft answer turns away wrath. And he, now he says it back to me. If I'm getting upset, if, if uh, I'm asking Joe for the 47th time to get ready, Joe, you got to get dressed. Joe, you got to get dressed. You guys know how the drill goes, right? And the, the last time was really loud. Joe! Dad, soft answer turns. But he, he doesn't mean it as a smart aleck. He's just reminding me. Soft answer turns away wrath. Oh, you're right, Joe. Hey, let's get dressed. If we do that, it never, it never escalates. It just stays. It's amazing how God knows that. God knows if we would, if we would be patient. We'll see those things. Look at verse 16 and 17. If you have found honey, eat only enough for you, lest you have your fill of it and vomit it out. So overindulgence is bad. Yeah? You can have too much of a good thing. I think that's what he's laying out for us. <coughs> overindulgence leads to wastefulness. And he puts that together with your neighbor. Let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you. You can have too much of a good thing. Yes? So we want to be aware that's the path of life. A path of life is not a path of overindulgence. It is, it is a path of wisdom. It recognizes, yeah, I can't do this every night, all the time. I need to walk in wisdom. Then he tells us about a false witness in verse 18. A man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a war club or a sword or a sharp arrow. So what's that mean? A guy who will lie about you is a weapon. And all it will do is damage. Huh. Guess where that finds itself in a list. It finds itself in a list with the proud and a man who causes problems between brothers. It is in the same list of seven things that God hates. A man who will lie about another person. Who will provide false witness which leads us to verse 19 
unfaithfulness. Look, trusting in a treacherous man in a time of trouble, it's like a bad tooth or a foot that slips. It's not good for nothing. Anybody ever get a toothache? We like that? Oh, there's the one time you can get me to go to the dentist without complaining. That's it. The only way. If I get a toothache, I'm going. I'm going to the dentist. Woo! Can't wait to get there. Give me a shot and make that thing go to sleep. Fix my tooth. Fix my tooth. That's what an unfaithful man is. He cries out for being fixed. I need to fix this unfaithful person in my life. It's like a pain of a bad tooth. And it causes us to trip and fall. It's useless and painful. (laughs) So, in that, false witness, unfaithfulness leads to unwise conduct. Look at verse 20. So whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like the one who takes off a garment in a cold day, or like vinegar on soda. (laughs) I'm not sure what vinegar on soda does, but I get the other part. If it's a cold day, I don't want to take off my coat, I want to put it on means it's a waste. It's a waste. We want to use fitly, well-fit words, right? We had that section earlier. Now we want to recognize, okay, what are we dealing with? I don't want to be a false witness, an unfaithful person, because it will lead me to unwise conduct, meaning I'm trying to do good things the wrong way. Is it possible to do good things the wrong way? Sure it is. That's what he's telling us. But where did it start? It started with, False witness. It started with unfaithfulness. It leads us to this false conduct, this road of destruction, this path. It doesn't just do one thing. It leads us from one mistake to another. Don't let one mistake become two. Last one we're going to look at tonight is verses 21 and 22. This is the culmination of what he's been talking about. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. That's the proper response to enemies. Not lying about them. Not being unfaithful toward them. Not saying, trying to do the right thing the wrong way. The proper response to enemies. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread. If he's thirsty, give him drink. Does that sound familiar to anybody? It ought to. Right? In Romans 12, 19, here's what Paul says. Brethren, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. Whose job is revenge? We all like a good revenge movie, don't we? That feeds a base nature in me. The desire for revenge. Nobody ever had to teach me about that. It was there all along. What does God say about it? Yeah, don't avenge yourself. Let me. You don't know all the things that are going on. Do you? Do you understand why that event occurred? Do you understand all the strings that are attached to it? All the webs that that go back from the experience that you had to what someone did to you or what, what happened to you? And we don't understand the far-reaching ripples that go throughout time that brought that event into your life. But God does. Is He capable of bringing the right vengeance? Is God's wrath perfect? My wrath's not. But God's wrath is perfect, isn't it? He's never wrong. God has never acted out in wrath and been wrong. 
So we want to allow, yeah, we want to allow the Lord to repay. <coughs> then he says, Paul says, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Proper response to the enemy. And everybody wants to know, what's that mean? Is it like, oh, if I do nice things to him, it's like I'm burning him? It's like dumping fire on his head, he's going to catch on fire and, you know, I'll kill him with kindness? Maybe a little bit. The idea is that, is that you will have a greater effect over your enemy by responding in kindness than you will have by responding in wrath. You will have a greater effect on your enemies if you respond the way God says to respond than if you do what you want. You'll have a greater effect. I always go back to whatever it was. I want to say 1950-something. You guys remember out in... Uh, <clears throat> it wasn't Peru, but it was close. Anyway, uh, Jim Elliott, the guys that were out there, missionaries going to the Aka Indians, <clears throat> and they they make contact with the tribe, and they are giving gifts to the tribe, and things seem like they're going good, and they've made friends, right? And and one day they go in there, and, and instead of making friends, the tribe kills them. Just to cover up, you know, that one tribal man had been there with a tribal woman by themselves, and that wasn't good. And so, just to cover that up, they killed them all. And those missionaries made a decision. I'm not saying this is a decision everybody has to make, but this is a decision they made. <laughs> We're not going to kill them. If we do, they go to hell. They had guns. They could have killed them all. They fired the guns into the air to try to scare them away, but it didn't scare them away, so they all died. That The wives could have come in there and said, what a giant waste of life, this is stupid, this whole concept is dumb, we're out of here. What did they do instead? They joined the tribe that killed their husbands. Their children joined the tribe that every child that was a part of that tribe had also experienced the death of their parents in a similar way. Because it was a very bloodthirsty tribe. And as a result, the whole tribe gets saved. If we do it God's way, you'll have a greater effect against your enemy than if you do it your way. Most of the time, if we find that we're willing to walk the narrow path, the one most people don't want to walk, you will find greater treasure than if you walk the broad way of destruction. Amen? Why don't we pray? Father God, we give you thanks. We thank you for the opportunities that you give us, God, to study your word, to know your word, to, to delve into it. Lord, I pray that we grow. I pray that we are challenged by the things we read in Scripture. I pray, Lord, that you would do a work in our life. Draw us, Lord. <coughs> Lead us <clears throat> to you. Because we want to honor you. We want to glorify you. And ultimately, God, we want to follow you on the path of life. So, Lord, will you lead us? Will you guide us? Will you show us your way and make us willing? <clears throat> Help us repent when we need to repent. Change direction when we need to change direction. Keep our feet on the path of life. And we will give you all the praise and glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.